0: You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now, here's your host, Brian Matiasch, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 12.
1: We have duodecupled our episode output. Amazing. <laughs> you you really with the is. tuples. Can't stop, won't stop. No, we're going strong with them. Until, until 31. <laughs> then we'll, we'll see. <laughs> And we're just making stuff up. Right.
0: Okay. So Brian, last episode, we got in a little bit of trouble.
1: Right. You want to introduce her? Yeah. So we actually have our, we have our second guest, but she's technically our first female guest. And you married this one. I married this one. Yeah. You she's actually, actually married her. And she comes by request. We actually had, I know of at least one person who has tweeted to the At No Name Photo Show Twitter account asking when Nicole S. Young would join as a host. So, I mean, we love our adoring audience and so we, we live to please. So, Nicole, Z, why don't you introduce yourself, take a minute and tell people about who you are.
2: Hey, hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I'm a big fan. <laughs> a little biased, maybe, but I actually really do love the show. Uh, my name's Nicole Young, uh, AKA Nicole that's Nicole and Uh, I've been a photographer for, well, I mean, if you count high school, you know, that's too many years to count, but doing this for almost 10 years now, or actually just a little over 10 years. I started out as a stock photographer, kind of transitioned into writing books. And now I have my own online store where I self-published books and video training and presets and all that fun stuff. So, so yeah, I guess that's me in a nutshell. Technically a woman. I, I,
1: Are you technically a woman? <laughs> I don't know what else <laughs> Technically, exactly a woman. <laughs> yeah! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I knew, I knew she's a woman too. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what's on the show? Sure. So for episode 12, here's what we got. Actually, so this is fitting because Nicole was the one that sent me this article uh, a few weeks ago. The article is called How Social Media Perpetuates Cliché Photography. This article kind of serves as the the impetus for um, this topic of, you know, you look through Instagram and, and it's just, there's no shortage of beautiful photos, but they're just all just the same, the same kind of cliche compositions, the same kind of cliche effects. So we're going to talk about that. And then the second topic is going to be a about. It's also timely because just last week, Nicole and I were in New York City partly to visit my family but also because it is the annual photo plus the pdn photo plus expo at the javits center and so sharky this is i think your topic when does it make sense for photographers to go to trade shows you know does it make sense is there anything worth it so that's uh that's the show plus uh what's on your gear shelf
0: sounds great i think this is gonna be a fun show i have a lot of i always have something to say
1: for sure i mean these are two really good topics and i think we have the people here the three of us have some good uh authority on that so nicole this article article you sent to me it's from fieldmag.com and of course everyone you'll be will link to this article in the show notes of episode 12 at no nonamephotoshow.com essentially you know the gist of it, it's called how social media perpetuates cliche photography so nicole just without really going too much into the article tell us what your thoughts are what's what in your kind of mind makes up cliche photography these days for you
2: you know, the the photo where, you know, someone's standing maybe at the base of a waterfall with their hands spread out really wide and they're really small. So you're showing scale or the one where the girl is standing out front and she's holding the hand of the guy taking the picture. Um, it, it's, you know, it's it's that type of photography and it's, they're great photographs. I think it's just any type of photograph that kind of becomes overdone and kind of oversaturates, you know, I mean, Instagram is mostly what we're kind of talking about. Cause that's a, where a lot of photographs get posted these days. But I think that's kind of the gist of what this topic is about.
0: Right. Brian had a great example of one that just, I'm happy. I didn't have any water or anything in my mouth. Cause I would have sprayed my iMac. Do you want to tell her what, the, which one you're coming up with?
1: I, I came up with a few, but I'm not sure which one now. I'm genuinely curious.
0: The one of, the milky way behind somebody they're at like arches national park or whatever and then they've got the headlamp on or a flashlight
1: oh yeah yeah that's the one that one is just just a golden oldie already where you've got someone who again it's beautiful night shot and they've got they're in some beautiful location and they have their like you said their headlamp or their flashlight that and it's pointing up at the sky and or they're standing there with their arms like almost in this like what guy what
0: you said it's pointing up at this guy. What guy?
1: Oh, my God. That joke number one. I'm sorry, Nicole and, and the audience. So I used to drive my daughter when she was nine
0: nuts with that in the car. Hey, Dad, look at this guy. What guy? Oh, it made her so upset. I shouldn't do that before
1: <laughs> school. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> go but, but yeah, you know, and, and for those listening, go to the, go to the episode and click on the link because the masthead, the banner image of the article has like almost every example of a cliche photo you can think of. But yeah, it's just, I mean, Nicole, like when you're photographing, like we used to live in Oregon and we would go shoot the waterfalls and all that stuff. Like, is that something that ever crossed your mind? Like, you know, I want to, I need a person out in the distance or I'm going to set my timer for 30 seconds and run out, you know, and get in there.
2: I think, that, I mean, it's first, I kind of want to clarify that personally, I think that you guys are in the same boat. These are not bad photographs. We're not like knocking this type of photography because the reason sure. that these are, they're cliche is because they're really good. And it's a really, it's a cool like composition or whatever about it. It's, it just makes it a really neat photograph and that's why it's so popular. Yeah. I mean, we've done, you know, you and I and our friend Brian Bonham, we went out to uh, Gordon Creek Falls and we have some of those and that's your actually, that's your cover of your book is... Him standing at the base of a waterfall, and I've done it a few times, but I'm not, and it maybe just because I don't see myself as like model esque, you know, the kind of person who'd be, I like to stay on the opposite, you know, the viewfinder side of the camera and not the lens side of the camera. So I never was one to like set the self timer and run out and try and do it myself. So it's not really something that has ever really been in my playbook for photographs. I'm usually just trying to get that beautiful landscape photograph, which in itself is kind of cliche as well. <laughs> uh, it, it's just it's tough because with the You know, I I hate to use the word oversaturation. I used it before, but there are just so many photographs being posted online and it's it's really difficult to kind of branch out with your own creative style. And it's in a good way, it's a good thing. But it's also it also just makes it more challenging, you know, because you really have to step outside of what everyone else is doing if you want to stand out, you know, in time, styles and trends, they grow and they build and they become popular, but then they die off. And right now, we're kind of in that really big Instagram, people are posting photos, and we know what kind of photos are going to get the likes and the, the, you know, the followers and the comments coming. And so people tend to kind of navigate towards those that style of photograph.
1: So. So Sharky, what, what's your thought on this in terms of like, what what do you think it is about people just striving to kind of make these derivative photos?
0: You know, it's like the burning steel wool.
1: Oh, kind yeah. Of thing. You know, right. like that's another
0: one of them. Like there's a, you, there's a whole you can make just a ginormous list of it. I think people see these photos that they think, wow, that's pretty cool. I want to emulate that. And in trying to emulate something, you learn. Can I get to that? How fast or slow of a shutter speed do I need to do the burning steel wool? What do I need to get to get the Milky Way and get some exposure on somebody and capture that light beam? What do I need to do? But for me, that doesn't appeal to me. You know, I've shot a lot. I'm an old man. And this also, for me, this is a reason why I don't go to places like the Grand Tetons. I hope that guy's (laughs) upset of this episode, too, or like. I lived in Utah for a couple of years. I didn't go to any of the places that you would go to if you lived or visited Utah, like Arches National Park or whatever, Bryce Canyon. None of that, because I've seen a million photos of those. What am I going to bring to it? Knowing me, I would bring somebody like in a bunny suit or something and do something really ridiculous there, because maybe that's not been done before, probably for a reason. But I just I just I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me to go do photos that other people have done.
2: See, the way I see it, though, and to kind of counter that is I go to places because they're beautiful. And yes, I'm a photographer, so I'm going to create a photograph. But I don't go there to create the most beautiful, amazing photo to compete with everyone else's image. I go there because I love the creation of photography and not just the result of photography there are times that I've been like, oh, you know, I don't really care to see that or I don't really need to be there just because maybe it's like a chaotic location and, you know, I don't want to be around crowds or something. But for the most part, I'll still photograph it because I want my own version for me or for whatever. You know, I do a lot of education and it's good to have those photographs of my own that I can use. But yeah, it's not just about creating, you know, even if what I create is exact copy and like me and Brian, we're usually photographing together. So oftentimes we get very similar photographs and I don't think that bothers us. I think we just we enjoy the process. So that's that's why we do it.
0: I would say we wouldn't encourage or discourage somebody to not go do these photos. Do the photos, see what you can do to make a photo like you've seen before, but then maybe don't do the bunny suit thing, but do something different. Do something that's going to set it apart that people are going to be like, wow, I haven't seen that before. And then that'll get a lot of likes. That should be the goal, I would think. Make a pretty photo and then do something. It's like the whole trash the dress thing with the wedding dress photos in the ocean. Do the nice pretty photos and then just mess it up. Think outside the box. You don't learn in general, let alone as a photographer, unless you stretch. You got to do something you haven't done before.
1: That, that's the thing is the seal role was a great example in terms of, and what you said about doing it to learn. So that's exactly what happened to me. Where when Nicole and I were in California and I was working at Google, I went one afternoon, evening to down to the Sutro baths to photograph the sunset. And after the sun went down, and it got darker, I saw these, this group of like three or four other photographers and they started burning the steel wool and it was uh, where they were over there. There was no hazard. There was no vegetation. It was pretty much on the beach. I walked up to them and I'd never photographed steel wool before. So, and I asked them if I could just sit in and shoot for a little bit and they were cool with it. And I spent a little bit of time doing it. And then I came home and it turns out I had like a hundred photos, you know, cause you're, you're rifling off those brackets and I'm like, okay. I found one that I liked, and I never looked at a single other one again, and I had no desire to ever shoot steel wool again. And so when I see these other things, like, for instance, these photos of these guys or person standing in the distance again with their headlamp, with their back, their back is always to the camera. Always. You know, there's some psychological thing about not seeing who the person is and just having more of a anonymous, who is that person or another way to look at it is like, that could be anyone. That could be me. After one time doing it, I couldn't, I'm like, I would not have the compulsion. Like, Oh, next time I need to do that again at another location. To me, it's been clearly identified on Instagram, for example, that these kinds of photos, these particular types of photos, not only do they engage well, but brands enjoy them. Companies that are looking for either photographers or photos, they seek these kinds of photos out. So everyone, I feel like, flocks to try to, again, become derivatives of each other. And it's just a really sad thing because like Nicole said, All of these photos are technically, compositionally great. They're great, but it's becoming kind of like Happy Meal, kind of like dollar menu photos at this point. It just There's really nothing impressive about them anymore because you just created a derivative. Like, where is your unique stamp? What can you do as a photographer challenging yourself? Because doing this, getting to the location now, to the hard location, that's not the hard thing anymore. Now the hard thing as a photographer is how can you make a unique photo, a unique composition? And that's where... I think we're really kind of failing as photographers.
0: It's really, it's become a commodity. It's like McDonald's. You go McDonald's pretty much everywhere. You know what to expect. These people are doing the same photos over and over again. That's fine. But if your goal is to stand out, so sure, you know, do what you see these amazing photographers do that have hundreds of thousands of followers. Do those, but you're never going to rise above. And If your goal is to be known, you have to do something different. Right. Like I think not to pat ourselves on the back, but each of us kind of we rose above by doing our own thing. No one had done a show quite like mine. No one has done, you know, what you guys have I don't know what you guys do. You guys take <laughs> pictures and write and type and just bloviate. I don't know. You guys have risen above because you tried something different. You wanted to be known for something and and it worked out for you. So you need to do that with photography as well. If the goal is to become somebody that somebody's like, wow, I, I, you know, when you see that photo, it's like, I know who shot that. Like, it's just amazing.
2: I think another thing that's important to talk about when I, they touch on this in the article is that people are putting tents and things in places where they can't or shouldn't put tents, mm-hmm. you know, like on the very edge of a cliff or right next to the waterfront, ma- giving the impression through a photograph that they're actually camping there. And I've seen accounts, there's an account and I can't remember the, ex- it's, it's probably just, you did not sleep there an Instagram account and they'll call people out being like, no, you didn't actually sleep there. (laughs) But it's just perpetuating that idea that it's okay to do that. And if people don't know any better, they're going to see that, oh, they they put their tent there and they slept there. I want to do the same thing and get a photo and then I'm just going to sleep there or whatever. And so that's kind of, I think, and I know you guys have talked about the uh, leave no trace, things like that. You know, and that kind of follows along with that line as well. But you know, that's something that I think is, you know, I wouldn't say it's ruining photography, but I just think it's kind of hurting it a little bit or hurting the, the place that they're going a little bit.
1: It is. I mean, it's a shame that we've become, I don't know if desensitized is the right word, but kind of maybe anesthetized to these stunning photos. My Instagram feed is just like, that's great. That's great. Whereas where, where I get really excited and impressed, and this is not, again, because you're my wife or anything, but I tell people this all the time. So Nicole does food photography, but she takes it a step further in terms of she actually, like, when we lived in Portland. And we had this kind of useless garage structure and she turned it into a pottery studio. She got a kiln and a wheel and all everything, all the all the accoutrement. My point is she would make her own placeware, right? You made your own plates, your own kind of like platter. So talk about that. Like no one in the world has that. Oh, you want me to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, to me, that that shows what, in order to go to the next level and do something, and yes, you're, you know, a lot of food photography looks the same, but you know for a fact that no one else can replicate this because you went out of your way, you taught yourself pottery, you created these actual plates and bowls. To me, that's what—that's not derivative. Yeah. That's like a one of a kind. So I, I kind of wish, and that's something I always challenge myself with when I go out shooting in a place where, like you said, Nicole, and I agree, I go to places because I love, they're beautiful and I want to photograph them. There's no compulsion for me to want to put someone in there unless it absolutely makes sense. Like if, let's say I'm photographing a rock climber, I'm not photographing the mountain, I want to photograph a rock climber, then of course you need to have a person in there. But if I'm photographing a beautiful pier, for example, with you know still water in the foreground at night and the mountain range. There's no reason for me to put some dude on the end of that pier with his arms out like he's constipated looking up at the sky, you know, with his night. To me, that I, I look at them like, what purpose does that serve? I mean, okay, maybe a sense of scale. But other than that, I just don't see a purpose other than you want to be derivative and you're just really, really trying hard to get likes. Tell me, someone. I want someone to challenge me. Either you guys or in the audience, challenge me and tell me what the creative virtues and merits are of these photos. I don't see them. I just see really nice, empty-calorie, sugar-free photos, is what I call them.
0: I think people just want to. They see a pretty photo. They want to replicate it. They want to see if they can do that, and then be like, "Hey, look, I can do that too." How boring! I think that's basically what it is. It's boring, but you know, it's like. But how do you, but see, you've done a lot. You know, a lot of people are still learning. And so it's like, well, where do I start? Why am I going to take my camera out today? I need a reason. What am I going to go shoot? Well, I can go shoot that. I saw that photo. I like that. I'm going to give that a try. So that's good. There's merit to that. But when you see thousands of people in your feed and you see that same photo over and over again, This is why your hair is falling out. You pulled it all out.
1: No, it's not. Again, go and do it once or twice, you know, figure it out. But when you start, when it becomes a compulsion where you're just, I'm not even talking about my Instagram feed that's made up of a bunch of different photographers. This is something I always do. I see a photo that I really like, and I like it even more when it's someone I don't already follow and I go to their feed. And then when I see their feed and it looks exactly just like the same basic thing over and over, it's a commodity. Like, what have you done? What are you doing? Like, try something. I, I don't know maybe i'm being unfair i'm being overly critical but whatever
0: i think we beat this horse dead yeah i mean don't just don't do the don't upset brian (laughs) by doing those photos don't be steel wool guy hashtag steel wool guy don't do that
1: you know i'm so glad i don't know if you guys agree or disagree but i think that trend has kind of that ship has sailed
0: yeah because everybody's burnt everything down i don't want to get in trouble anymore (laughs) the point roy Roy boat and oh yeah
1: that's right and we photographed that after before No, well before. All right, so let's move on to our second topic. Basically, again, like I said, Nicole and I got back over the weekend from New York City, and one of the main reasons, well, the main reason why we booked the trip was to visit family, but Nicole is also presenting at, uh, actually, Nicole, I'll let you tell it. But but we want to talk about is when does it make sense for photographers to go to trade shows? And what are the benefits and what can you do to get the most out of it? If you're spending the money to fly, hotel, you know, New York's not a cheap place, food, and then of course your expo pass, what do we see as the benefit? So Nicole, why don't you start with that?
2: Yeah, I would say the first thing is conferences can be pretty expensive. Uh, like you said, you know, the conference pass itself, depending on which one you're going to, could be like 500 to 1,000 or more. The Hotel, everything. Everything can, it, it just really adds up. With that said, you can learn a lot from a conference. Well, it could go both ways. You can learn a lot. Or you could go and be like, wow, I didn't really learn <laughs> anything, depending on your skill level. I think that the, the newer you are to photography, the more you're going to learn. But it's going to kind of be that fire hose effect because you're going to be there for maybe two, maybe three days. And there's just going to be so much information. In my opinion, some of the best conferences you can go to are the ones who provide video recordings of the classes that you went to and even all the other classes after the fact. And I think Adobe Max does that. They did that. I went last year to Adobe Max, and I believe that they recorded them so you could actually go in and watch them afterwards uh, which is really nice for like you know to recall things and you get like workbooks and stuff but you know, I went to my first, I went to Photoshop World when I was still fairly new to, well, I was I was just kind of starting my business. It was probably like 2009. And I was maybe a couple of years into really kind of pushing myself photographically. I mostly went because I wanted to learn more about Photoshop. And I thought it was interesting because I went and I realized how much I actually knew about Photoshop, which is a lot more than I thought I did. It wasn't as expensive for me. I was able to drive and I got a student discount because I at the time, was taking some college classes at the community. To college. So that was probably less expensive for me. But I, yeah, I don't know. It's tough because I think that now, especially at the point of my career, I get more networking out of the conferences than I do actual knowledge about photography and post-processing. I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: So your average, I've never been to a photo conference. I've been to, you know, back in the day, Comdex, never. I've been to Comdex, I've been to um, CES, but I have not been, and that was back in the 90s, but I haven't been to a photography conference and I should, right? I should go. But for your average person, how much are they gonna spend? Like a few thousand bucks or so? That's a lens right there. It's Mm -hmm. like, so you're like, I can get that new 70 to 200, 28 and make more money or I can go to a conference where I can see Nicole Z and Brian Matiash and uh, hang out and, I don't know, see a bunch of cool products that I can see if I went to Petapixel or F-Stoppers or whatever you know, aside from the learning part, because I don't think a lot of people think about the learning aspect. They think I get to go see these people and I get, you know, Joe McNally's there. That's great. And, and then there's the people that want to achieve a certain level. You talked in a previous episode, Brian, about how you were doing stuff with on one software and got to know the on one people. Right. And that landed you a job eventually. Right. Isn't that what you, that's exactly right. So there, so for you that worked out great.
1: Yeah. And exactly. And I think Kind of taking what both of you had said, it depends on what your aspirations are as a photographer. So If you're looking, like Nicole said, to kind of learn, then yeah, there are some really cool conferences. And there are a bunch. There's, I would say Photo Plus is more of an industry conference. It's more about the expo floor and the vendor booths than anything else. But then you've got like WPPI in the beginning of the year and Imaging USA, which are more portrait photography and wedding photography related. Those are very much about practical exercises and stuff like that. And then there was Photoshop World, which I think is still around, but in its heyday, it was just like that's where you would go. I mean, the courses there were great they were really detailed and of course that's just within the photography industry there are trade shows for social media and for marketing digital marketing and all these different verticals but
0: throwing shade on scott kelby
1: not at all (laughs) i just i i know that they've been up and down with photoshop it was smaller and then i think i heard it got larger and it was here and then it was there so I don't know. I haven't been to Photoshop World in years I've been to many Photoshop Worlds, especially when I worked at On1, and I've been to Photo Plus. I don't know how many times I've been to. I've been to all of the trade shows because the companies I worked with, that was part of my, my responsibility was to go there. So what I would say for photographers... You either are gonna go there because you, you want to register as a student and go to the classes, and that's typically the most expensive kind of pass. Then there's the also like you you were saying, Sharky with my experience, the networking side of things. So when I went, I was working at a financial software company, but on one had a booth there, and that's how the relationship I just went and I spoke to the market. And usually at every booth, every vendor, their marketing people will be there because that's the point. They're there to market. So that's a huge opportunity there. And also just in specifically with this Photo Plus, for me at least because Nicole has a different reason for being there. I have a lot of industry contacts that I know go to this show. If there's any show that they go to, it's Photo Plus in New York. That's the, actually the United States' largest photo expo. So I go there and I had some really good meetings with people. We both were, Nicole and I were part of Tamara Lackey's show that she does with Adorama. And so episodes will be coming out. But you know, Nicole, you did, what were you there for?
2: I was speaking at the, uh, the well, for I was presenting at the MacFun slash Skylum booth. they have recently changed their name name to Skylim or they're in the progress of changing their name. But yeah, I was presenting every day at the booth there. I honestly, you know, it's probably just because I'm all of us here, were educators or we have a business that talks about photography to other photographers. So I find the networking is, is usually the biggest reason that I go to shows now. Years ago, 10 years ago, I was living in California. I drove up to San Francisco and I went to Macworld when that was, I don't know if they're still doing it anymore, but when when Apple was still going to Macworld, they, they unveiled their brand new iPhone. So this was, you know, back then. I uh, ended up getting invited with uh, someone, uh, Frederick Van Johnson, over to, he took, he was like, hey, you should come to the Peach Pit party. and and, you know, Peach Pit Publishers, and Met some of the people there. It wasn't anything big. And then went on my merry way. And about a year, year or two later, I ended up getting an email from them asking me to work with them and actually be an author and write some books. So so you never know. You never know where things are going to take you. It's, But it's. I think it's always about the people. You know, the education is everywhere. I think you can learn a lot at conferences, but you can also learn a ton through the internet, either through free stuff on YouTube or buying stuff directly. But it's really, it's about the people.
0: That's what I wanted to get to. So I wanted to nail this down. Thousands of photographers go to these. Your average person is not going to land a job as a result of going there like Brian did or get a book deal and stuff as a result of relationships and the education you can get online. So, why go? Why spend $3,000? And seriously, why go? I think for most people, you shouldn't go. Maybe you should invest in your business, or maybe you don't even have a business. You don't have a photography business. Why spend $3,000 just to go hang out with other photographers? When you don't need to. It's a very... But what person should not go... Is probably a good idea to cover.
2: If you're going to spend the money and let's say you don't have, you know, I I went, I didn't have to pay for my trip because I was sponsored to go. So there's that. And that doesn't always happen. Oftentimes I'm I'm paying my way to get places, but you go to places like Vegas. If there's stuff out there, you can usually find a cheap hotel. So it doesn't always have to be $3,000 if you're just going to go and like hang out with people. But with that said, even $500 to $1,000 is not always in someone's budget to spend, especially if photography is a side hobby or they just don't have the money to spend on a trip like that. I would say. If you're going to spend money, find a workshop, find a photographer who you really respect and you want to actually get like some almost one-on-one hands-on training. Because if you really want to learn about photography, a small group workshop, in my opinion, is probably going to get you the best bang for your
1: buck. That's a great idea. Totally. So, okay. I know for me, so what kind of photographer? That's a, that's a tough one. I agree with Nicole. I think that if your agenda is specifically to learn and you prefer learning practically, meaning like with someone in real life, as opposed to reading a book or watching a video, I think a workshop absolutely cause that'll put you with the experts in the location and usually they have a post processing component to it in the you know, downtime. Uh, at least that's how like my workshops are when I when I do run them. I still think, for example, both Nicole and I we are we have our online businesses, and the photography is just a small component of it. There's a whole marketing component. So one of the things that I'm strongly considering is every year there's the social media marketing expo, social media marketing world, which is in San Diego, and San Diego is not a cheap city either. But you know, I'm strongly considering paying and going down because I have no, I don't have much contact in that realm in the greater social media marketing world but I look at the the recaps that from the previous years and I look at the course track the different tracks and there's stuff there that like I'm really interested in learning and sure I can go online but I also know myself as an entrepreneur as a business owner the networking components you know marrying those two opportunities together you know the learning side but also the opportunity to to network with other people in completely different verticals that's a big opportunity there
0: so, if you you know, if this is your business, of course, it's a tax write off. That's true. These are expenses. So, keep your receipts, et cetera. But if you're your average photographer, it's probably best to take a workshop with somebody you admire. You want to hang out with Joe McNally? You can do that. It's going to cost a little bit, but you'll have experiences. You make contacts and just are your average person going to an expo unless you can drive there and it's fairly cheap. I know they're all going to hate me. Like, oh, why is he encouraging people not to go? But you know, you have to spend your money wisely.
1: Yeah. I, Sharky, I think you brought up the best point there in terms of like, you know, take that, Nicole. <laughs> no, I think it's a really important and because the the way that we approach the topic is why you probably want to go and you're kind of bringing in a level-headed alternative, which I think is important. But I do have a question to both of you. If you can choose a photographer or, or you know, someone to, to do a private workshop with, who would it be?
2: Uh, Martin Bailey. I've been wanting to take his... Um he has the
1: Hokkaido. Hokkaido.
2: Yeah, I've been wanting to do that one. It's on my list.
1: The snow monkeys.
0: I'm going to do that. Martin's a great friend of mine. I'm going to go with him someday. I have to see those
1: snow monkeys. Mm-hmm. You know, we should just do, all of us should just do a. Uh, just
2: go on a. <laughs> you could do a live no name photo show with
0: the snow monkeys. <laughs> Great. You just spent $5,000
1: for me.
2: <laughs> you know, for, I but could no, just interject real quickly because Sharky, I'm really kind of disappointed. You're only on one dad joke and we're nearing the end of the show here.
0: I had some others, but they were not safe for ears that might be listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, clean, clean, clean writing, clean writing, <laughs> clean
0: writing. But um, to, to your question, for me, I think it would probably be like Joe McNally. I mean, oh, yeah? he's the master right there. If you want to learn lighting or, you know, David Hobby, strobist himself. You can never have enough lighting skills. And so those are the guys that I would take a a workshop with. And of course, Martin, but that's a given.
1: Yeah, Nicole and I are actually, we're seriously considering figuring that out, doing that workshop specifically with him and going out there. Because aside from just being a hell of a photographer, he's also helped a lot just with Sharky and me as we were ironing out the technicalities of this show. He was a huge resource.
0: He's awesome. He's a great guy. I think he's in Namibia right now. He's, uh, He's all over the world leading these workshops, so good. All right. So do we, did we wrap this topic up? Go to a, a photo conference. If you have the money, especially if you can deduct it and you know, you're going to get something out of it, or you just want to hang out with Brian and Nicole.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And one of these years I'm going to go.
1: I strongly think you should. And if you do, we'll do a live show.
0: That would be pretty cool. Hey, you know, I, pr- I produce three shows a week, right? Two of the, uh, petapixel photography podcast, and then this one edit it too. So I have to do some planning to make that happen. Yeah. How many days do you go for? Like, how many days would I go for? I don't know. How many days do these things, PPEs, how many days? Three.
2: The, the expo is three days. I think the conference is about, I think the conference is like four days.
1: Yeah. Plus and traveling there. and Plus traveling. But again you can cover the trade show floor in three hours, four hours being generous of just like walking around the trade show floor. And after that, unless you're going to a class, what else is there to do? So Nicole and I would walk around and and do some street photography. We, again, we, we had meetings with partners and stuff. So it's a good point. You know, you want to make sure that the show is not your only thing.
0: You have to make the most of it. Yes, you do. Don't go there and just play with lenses all day.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, In fact, depending on the state, some shows you can't even, you can't buy anything. Like when we, when I went to Photokina in Germany, which is the, that's the world's largest photo expo. And it's once every two years, although I think it's going to once every year now in Germany, you are not allowed to buy or sell anything at an expo floor. So you go to these places and that whole opportunity of the, um, what's that thing when you go to grocery store, the the impulse buy, you know, you see something there, you can't do that. And same thing with in the Javits, it's not that you can't, it's that most companies don't sell anything. They're like, oh, they'll point you to B&H or to another partner like Hunts, and they'll say, go over there and buy it from them or go to our website and order online. So you can't actually get what you want right away.
2: It's probably a good thing, though. <laughs> I probably would have come home with way too many camera bags and things. Hey, Nicole. Oh.
1: What's on your gear shelf?
2: Ooh, what is on my gear shelf? So, mine is not really gear, but it's definitely related to photography. And Brian knows what this is, and he's, he told me that it's it's boring, but... It's um, prints through bumblejacks and they're acrylic prints, specifically the acrylic prints is what I actually really like. Um, now I, you know, I think I'm probably not alone in saying that I don't print enough of my work. I I just don't. I do everything digitally. And in Portland, we had a really great house, but we had a ton of windows. so We didn't have a lot of wall space. So I just never really printed things to put on walls. And here in our house here in Nebraska, we have a ton of wall space. So now I'm really like, like, oh my gosh, we have all this wall space and now we can print things. And so, uh, And I also got to redo my office because all of my furniture in Portland was all built in. So we move here and I'm like, I have no furniture. So I get to, you know, kind of do my like interior decorating, turn into an interior designer and and put my whole office together and one of the things I wanted was I wanted a nice feature print so I went to Bumble and I've reviewed their stuff before they're really great for pro photographers because they give you uh, like a pro login and a pro discount but I printed uh, I think a 16 by 20 shark print from when I did uh, last year I went on a, a cage diving with the great white sharks and so I had a, one of my favorite photos and it just shines with this it's like glossy and i think i printed on metallic paper so it's just really really pretty um they have really great mounting on the back of it uh so that's you know if you want to hang your prints that's one thing you can do another thing that's really cool that they do and i've done a few of these is you can let's say you if you don't want to hang things on your wall but you literally want to put a print on your shelf instead of just putting something in a frame and having it do that you can print these little one inch acrylic blocks And so I've printed, I have a little panorama and I actually have a blog post about this.
1: Wait, it's not one one inch thick, but what's...
2: No, they're one inch thick acrylic blocks. They're thick thickness.
1: They're just one inch, but it's not one inch by one inch. It's not like a small square. The
2: thickness of the print. Do you understand, Sharky?
1: (laughs) I know who's thick right now and it's Brian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one
0: inch thick. That's its depth.
2: Depth. One inch deep by whatever dimensions you can you want to print it. So I've done these small, I don't know what they were, like maybe five by five or eight by five, five eight, I don't know, square, <laughs> small square cube, one inch deep <laughs> blocks, acrylic, and they put the print on the back so it kind of shines through. But you can just set them right on, on your shelf. So I have a little panorama, and like I was saying, I have a, a blog post about this with some photos on my website that you guys, if you guys want, you can link it in the show notes. But yeah, I just and I've I just think they're really kind of fun, and they make really good gifts as well. If you want to, you know, give someone something that they don't feel like they have to put a nail in the wall or something and hang it up, they can just set it right on their on their counter.
0: Cool. I love that you chose a shark for your first one, but oh. <laughs> I want to. It's going to be interesting to see over time what percentage of the photography on the walls in your home. Are yours versus Brian? Is there going to be a competition? Is it going to be like 80% Nicole, 20% Brian? That's going to, we'll just see how that shakes out. No, we're Democratic.
2: Yeah, we are very democratic. Like we have like this huge wall in our living room. And I, I've t- I was just telling Brian today, I was like, because it's completely empty. We have nothing on it. I have like, I think I have like an ornament hanging from like a hook that's on it. That's so far, that's all we have on it. I'm like, Brian, by Christmas, I want to have that wall, I have shelves and I want to have, I basically want to have it decorated and we'll go through, you know, we'll, we'll probably create like a, like a collection in Lightroom. And I actually have one already started with prints that I want to do. And well, you know, I'll probably do the dorky thing and like take a photo. I've done this before. It's not, that it's dorky for me. I take a picture just with my iPhone and then I, in Photoshop, I actually lay out how I want the wall to look. She does her own
1: <laughs> manual augmented reality.
2: I do. It actually is pretty cool because I did that for my shelves. I did that for, I want to do a logo on my wall and with my Nicole Z logo. And so it's, it's a really good way to kind of visualize something before you actually pay a lot of money to have something printed, but.
1: All right, Sharky, what's on your gear shelf?
0: What's on my gear shelf is a set of step up and step down rings. Nice. This is from Neewer. It looks like a Devo hat, except for it's in black. (laughs) And then hopefully you guys get the Devo reference. I don't know. Maybe I'm too old. Most of the audience is like, what? (laughs) Just whip it. Whip it good. So it's a set of, and then you're going to hear this here. You unscrew them and stuff. they, They go in different directions, of course. You got step up rings and step down rings. So I made the mistake back in the day. Uh, okay, so I've got a X seventy two hundred two eight, which has a seventy seven millimeter thread. And so, for a lot of people that don't know, my daughter was just asking me about this. She has a photography class, which she's acing, of course. Thank you very much. And she, if you look on the on the uh, on the lens, and you see a circle with a little line through it, and then a number next to it, that number next to it is the filter thread size. I advocate for always getting larger than you think you need. Get an 82 pay the little extra money and get the 82 millimeter, not the 77, because Sony, I believe might be 82. Yep. Canon, I think 82 Nikon. The old version I have the VR one version, the seven, 200 is 77. I even have some 72s from back in the day, circular polarizers and such that I can't use on that particular lens. So get a set of step up and step down rings. Neewer makes these. They're just, you know, whatever kind of metal this is. It's about 20 bucks or so. There's a set of step up, a set of step down. And so, you know, the first number on there is the one that's for your lens. So it'll say 77 millimeter hyphen, you know, two, and then it'll say 82 millimeters. And usually it's not a crazy range. You don't go from like 58 to 82 usually, and you can do them in steps. But the step down rings are for when you have a, you know, you've got an 82 millimeter lens, but you have a 77 millimeter filter, you're going to get some vignetting usually. Depending on the design of the lens, so you just have to, you know, make sure you shoot around that, and you can get it done. But it's not ideal. Yeah. But it's either that or spend a couple hundred bucks more on a on a filter, and then always make sure you get a good quality filter wrench. And well, first of all, don't tighten down your filters. Just you know, hand tighten it. You know, just a little bit, just thumb tight. Don't just go crazy bit. with it.
2: You don't use square filters.
0: I, I do actually now. One of my sponsors, you mentioned it. One of my sponsors over on the Petapixel Photography (laughs) Podcast is Benro. And so I have a set of 100 millimeter square filters and the whole system. (laughs) But I also have circular polarizers as well, too. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan's laughing. I know why. I'm
1: I'm cracking up.
0: (laughs) I've got a whole set of it's their master collection. I think it's about 400 bucks or so. And uh And it's awesomeness. So the square filters, you know, when you have a graduated neutral density filter, you want and need a square one. Way back in the day, when you guys weren't even doing photography, back in the mid '80s, when I was in high school, I don't think you guys were doing photography then. You guys were barely born. I had a Koken system, C O K I N. I think they're still around. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that was a square filter system as well. You get this catalog and it showed you all the different effects. It was like, yes, I want to make everything look burnt orange, like back in the seventies. I can do that.
2: Or you want to have the star or the, basically the Vaseline look, you know, there was some other
0: soft filter. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So I had that. I had a whole, not the entire set of it, but yeah. So my pick step up and step down rings, get square filters when possible. Just try to future-proof. Try to get a larger, get an 82. Just do it, get 82. Don't get 77 or 72. Do not do that to yourself, 82.
1: I agree 100%. And uh, what I do is I buy, let's say I have the 82 as my filter. I don't do the step-up, which I, I buy the individual. You can buy like 82 to 52, 82 to 72. So instead of having the step-up, which has the multiple, I'll have the specific ones. I so, got, so,
2: oh, I'll, I don't have to say anything about it. It's okay. Go for it. No, I was just going to say, like, I got so tired because the step up and the step down. The problem is you might think you have a step up, but you're actually trying to fit a step down on a step up ring. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this, but you're like trying to screw it together. And it's like just sliding around and nothing's actually working. Because I use the square, I use the Lee square filter set, and you still have to have an adapter to put the filter holder on. And I just got tired of using those step up and step down rings. They're really good. To, I still have them though, just in case. But usually when I pack, I usually just plan ahead, and I've bought, you know, I've like three or so of the different ring size, you know, filter size um, adapters for my Lee filter holder. There's a lot. still a lot of stuff, isn't it? <laughs> and. Uh, And then I just make sure that I'm only bringing the ones that I'm going to use on my specific lenses just because I got so tired of those step up, step down rings.
0: They're annoying. I get everyone gets confused by them. They occasionally get bent. They're going to get stuck on your lenses. And yeah, so just be careful with it. So a good, good, good pick and good riff on my pick. So, Brian, (laughs) what's what's on your gear shelf?
1: What's on my gear shelf is. It's not an an individual product, but it's a kind of class of products. So whenever I travel, one of the things that I do at night, I have kind of a ritual of things that I like to do in, in the evening, assuming I'm at, at a hotel or somewhere with electricity. One is to offload my photos, but the other is to recharge my batteries. And, you know, you only have so much time. And if you're doing a lot of shooting during the day, you're burning th- through more than one battery. So I currently have one camera system with two different batteries. The A9 and the upcoming A7 Mark three have this newer battery, and then the A7 previous one's have a different type of sony battery so i have these chargers that will take two batteries you can charge two batteries simultaneously and they these you know the one for the newer a9 batteries is made by a company called castar and then i have rav power for the the smaller sony batteries i'll link to a general search query in amazon because they make these companies make battery dual battery chargers for Every battery you could find, Canon batteries, Nikon batteries, Fuji batteries. And, you know, it's just kind of thinking, you know, or uh, work smarter, not harder. So rather than having to, you know, bring a a regular battery charger that does one and then here I double my output and then I'll usually also if I have to do three, I'll connect a micro USB cable to my camera and charge through the camera as well.
2: How is that? How are those in terms of speed? compared to your Sony Charger. Like, I use Fujifilm, so I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. I mean, we live together, right? We're married, but I don't even know all the... (laughs) I didn't know he had this. That's actually really cool.
0: (laughs) Once in a while, you should visit Brian in his (laughs) office.
1: In my cave. In your cave. uh, I've never compared the two, but I only use you know, I'll put it out. I only use actual OEM Sony batteries. I don't use the, you know, newer or any of these other companies that make third-party batteries because I've had, I've personally had bad results, negative results, either really quick discharge or it doesn't charge fully. You know, it doesn't actually get to 100% and I just don't want to deal with that. So I spend the extra money to get the actual Sony on-brand batteries. I don't know the difference in time, but I do know for a fact that they always charge to 100%. These charges, They've ne- knocked up one. They're rock solid. They've never died on me. And the actual the Rav power one is nice because it actually uses a micro USB connection, so you can you know you don't need some standard or weird like AC adapter. You can just get a U- micro USB cable with a little adapter on the other end, which are pretty much ubiquitous. They're everywhere, and then you're good to go.
0: Now I'll just say for the budget minded and those that aren't Daddy Warbucks like Brian and <laughs> he yeah, Brian bears a striking resemblance to Daddy Warbucks from Annie it's the head anyhow
1: no his is shinier (laughs) mine i still have i have texture Uh, well that's
0: hold on to that those last few strands up there anyhow (laughs) i've had no problems with it wasabi power wasabi that's one i was thinking of that's the one i would recommend if you're going to do it they go the extra mile i think they they, you know a lot of these uh they make the same batteries at the same factories as the oems often and they're just rebranded so Wasabi Power. I haven't heard a whole lot of bad about them. I've had I've got a ton of those for my Fujifilm XT two. Had to get that in there. I love that Fujifilm XT two. I know Nicole's with me on that. It's Just uh, something about that camera is just amazing. So
2: oh yeah, I've been using the I've been using the XT twenty a lot too, just to kind of throw that in there. That I took that one to New York. It's a good little camera.
0: Nice bonus picks for days. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had a, a pretty darn great show. If I say so myself. Yeah, I would say so. I do say so. Nicole, where can we find you?
2: Uh, you can find me on my website, com. That's spelled N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And if you, or if you just Google search Nicolezy, you'll find, you'll find me
1: everywhere. And of course, we'll, we'll link to Nicole's website and also the photos from her gear pick on the show notes at com.
0: And you're at M A T I A S H M-A-T-I-A-S-H.com. Yes. You can find me. I'm Lens Shark. two S's in the middle there, everywhere. I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast, one of the most popular podcasts on the face of the planet Earth. There it is, and Mars, and the Moon, <laughs> and
2: this household. Oh,
0: <laughs> it's true, huge, huge. There you go. What do you say? We clap it out. A three-way clap. Ready? Three-way clap. All right, here we go. On the count of three. One, two. <laughs> now, that was one, two, and three. All right, here we go. One more time. Ready? One, two. <laughs> I hit the mic. You hit the mic. Whoa, <laughs> <we'll> <laughs> We'll fix it in post. All right. Love you, brother and sister. Love you too. Oh, that's awkward.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the no name photo show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that.